two, testing, testing, there we go, got it, all right, welcome everybody, <clears throat> thank you Rebecca for that wonderful uh, story, I know that it takes a lot of courage to share uh, about your family and the pain that you endured, uh, I know it's not easy, and, uh, but we also appreciate the inspiration you've given us this morning and how the Lord has rekindled your, your life. Uh, your, and his love has come to you, and your love is going back to him. And we just pray that as you go home to Colombia, that uh, you'll be a blessing uh, to your, I know you will be a blessing to your family, and you keep walking and journeying with God. So today we will continue in chapter 3 of Colossians from where we left off last week, and cover from verses 18 in chapter 3 to chapter 4, verse 1. We will be looking at how... Paul's teaching on developing Christ-centered household relationships. I will read the text, chapter 3, uh, from chapter 318 to 4.1. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. <clears throat> husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer, wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I realize that when we talk about this subject, it can cause hurt or pain to those who have had difficult relationships within the family or have suffered abuse at the hands of a spouse, parent, or somebody in the workplace. My hope is that this message would provide you with encouragement that considers a viewpoint from the word of God that always seeks to reconcile every situation in your life, no matter how challenging or hopeless it might seem. It is also a delicate subject because it raises the issue of authority in a culture that has become more and more averse to authority, especially when it relates to gender. And that's understandable, considering that many times power has been abused in a way that does not honor God's desire or any semblance of the sacrificial love that Jesus modeled and spoke about. It's unfortunate because it takes away from God's plan for us to enjoy meaningful and fruitful relationships that ultimately bring him joy and glory to his name. The type of relationships that allow people who observe us, as we heard from Rebecca's testimony this morning, to become curious about the Jesus we follow. It is for his purpose that the overarching theme of my message today is pursuing the beauty and redemptive power of godly relationships. So, before I move to the, uh, the introduction or the outline, I will pray and then we'll continue. Father, we give you thanks for uh, the, the love that you have given us through your son Jesus. I just want to continue to pray for Rebecca, Lord, as she goes home, Lord, that you would use her mightily for the purpose of restoration and reconciliation. I pray also, Lord, that in this message, 
the words that I will speak will come from your heart and will be a blessing to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so the outline for today is as such. We will first begin with an introduction, which is a review of the context. Then we'll follow a logical framework where I'll just go down through the passage uh, with wives and husbands, and then speak about children and fathers, uh, servants and masters, and then some concluding thoughts and application for us. So let's begin. First, we review the context. Like each piece of this letter, it is open to misunderstanding if it is divorced from the broader sense. After Paul opens up his letter to the Colossians with a general introduc introduction, he prays this two-dimensional prayer for the church in chapter 1, verse 9. He prays that they might have complete knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. And number two, that their lives would produce every kind of good fruit, even as they learn to know him better and better. In short, he prays that their knowledge would not merely be accumulated, but that their understanding would serve them to lead fruitful lives, impacting their behavior and their relationships, and through that process, getting to know God better and better. In this last year, we covered several, several letters uh, from Paul, from Galatians to Ephesians to Philippians and now Colossians. If you paid close attention, you would have observed a trend. He usually starts off with some form of greeting and introduction, and then he goes into some prayers of gratitude for the recipient church. He might address some specific issues going on in the church, that, which he's writing to, and he produces a clear teaching about the person, the work, and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Then towards the end of the letter, he shifts to how this relationship in Christ should affect how we live and how we are to develop a love and affection for one another in the bonds of Christ. We, are, we should be considering ourselves really lucky to have such a collection at our disposal unlike the Colossians, who were just receiving this one letter. Last week, Doug touched on very practical insights from the previous chapter, 3, verses 1 to 17, that gave us general guidelines for believers in Christ to pursue with the help of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. So here's a little table that, sh that reviews a little bit of what he talked about. This is a table that describes sins versus signs of love, which have been adapted from a life application study guide. And you look at the three columns there, and the first column is sins of sexual attitude and behavior. The second column is sins of speech. And the third one is signs of love. The first column basically deals with what is going on in the heart. This is the root. This is what you're, this is what you're really dealing with. And uh, a lot of it is due to sexual immorality, impurity, and lust, followed by other, other sins like evil desires, greed, and covetedness. All these things together are in the heart. That's at the root. But out of that root come the branches, and the branches are in the second column. They're called the sins of speech. Sins like anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, lying, these are things that Paul refers to as old garments. And he says, now that you have this power of the Holy Spirit working in you, you've got to shed these old garments. 
you got to deal with the heart because I dealt with the heart. I've come into your life, and now I'm transforming the heart in such a way that it's going to affect your speech. And really, this is what our relationship killers. We're talking about relationships today, and it's the speech that really act as, as uh, a detriment to our relationships. And finally, he says, put on the new garments, which is that third, third column, which is mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. But we know it's not easy. We easily get distracted uh, from that and set our minds on earthly things. And so we need to be patient with ourselves uh, that we are now in a uh, part of a process. In chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, Paul concludes with this section of words. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you are called to one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell, richly, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to your, in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. You'll notice that Paul urges his listeners three separate times in these three verses alone to cultivate a heart of gratitude. That's because gratitude is the cure to a covetous heart. The degree to which we are grateful is an indicator of what we are coveting. He also says, let the, the peace of God rule in your heart. The word rule comes from the language of athletics. Paul tells us to let the Christ's peace be like a referee, like a mediator there working in your heart. Our hearts are centers of conflict, two natures duking it out, fear and hope, distrust and trust, jealousy and love. Holding fast to Christ is indispensable when you consider how it can affect your interpersonal relationships. That's why Paul says he toils, struggling with all his energy, with the power God provides to present the believers mature in Christ. So having laid this foundation of God's power working in us and to produce these new garments, Paul then addresses the function of roles within the household. It is fair to assume that if these principles are lived out, the issue of authority becomes no issue at all. If we develop selfless love of Christ to motivate our behavior, we should not get the sense that anyone is lording things over us or being abusive to us in any way. So let's examine each pair of relationships in Colossians. I will be running them alongside its parallel passage in Ephesians to expand our understanding. So wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its, its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes, cherishes, cherishes it just as Christ does the church, 
because we are members of his body. Notice that Paul does not undo the pater familias, which is translated in English to father of the family. It sounds better in Italian, padre de familia, if I do the translation. <clears throat> the father of the family in Roman Greco world could legally exercise unlimited authority over his family, hired help or extended help to the point of deciding on life or death issues. What's different is Paul supplants this order of authority with a different set of operating principles. It's like he puts a new software in the system. Whether you are in a position of authority or under authority, each party is to learn to submit to one another out of reference for Christ. He starts the Ephesians passage with that. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Then he gets into those verses. You could imagine the significant shift this is in the new church of Colossae, where different cultural and social backgrounds are coming together. Man or woman, Jew or Gentile, Scythian or barbarian, slave or master. They're all given these new rules of engagement. People who are so different from previous beliefs, ethics, and social standing. Now this group of misfits are being taught to establish a Christ-like framework in every aspect of their life. Their eyes have been op open to the fact that every person is equal in the sight of God, and now they must make a concerted effort to become imitators of God in their conduct towards one another. This speaks volumes of the power of the Holy Spirit to transform a group like this into the unified body under the Lordship of Christ. So when it comes to the specific role of women and men, the structure of authority can be compared to the role of Christ within the Trinity and in relation to the church. As the second person of the Godhead, Jesus was 100% deity, possessing all the knowledge and wisdom of God, but had a specific role which was in submission to the Father. The Garden of Gethsemane is the greatest example of Christ's submission, uh, Christ's submission, where he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Christ's submission to the Father is an example of the wife's role in relation to her husband. She is equal in person, created in God's image, but has a role that willingly submits to her husband's godly leadership. That view is supported in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Here, Paul connects a wife's submission to her husband as her head to Christ's submission to God as his head. The idea of submission doesn't have anything to do with someone being smarter, better, or more talented. It has to do with a God-appointed order. Author and wife of retired pastor Timothy Keller, Kathy Keller, writes in The Meaning of Marriage, if it was not an insult on the dignity and divinity, but rather it led to the greater glory of the second person of the Godhead to submit himself and assume the role of a servant, then how could it possibly injure me to be asked to play out the Jesus role in my marriage? When God created man and woman, they were meant to be a beautiful complement to each other. Man needed a woman to help subdue the earth. He could not do it alone. He breathed a sigh of relief 
when a woman was created because he was not able to accomplish the task. The word that used to describe woman in the creation story is helper. We see that in Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, two things to notice here. It was the only thing that was not deemed good in God's creation. Of everything else, the heavens and the rivers and the animals, it was all good. But the only thing that was not good was, was that there was not a woman, a, a person fit for a man, and that he should not be alone. The second thing is the term helper in Greek is eser, which means someone who has great skill. Not in the sense like someone considered an apprentice, somebody who helps out a guy who does renovations, would help out Vince, for example, and come alongside him. It's not that kind of helper. It is used over 20 times in the Bible and is predominantly attributed to God himself, qualities of God. So when Adam provides a helper for Adam, he provides somebody that has considerable qualities. It's important to understand this because it gives the woman the elevated position they deserve to have and not what we might understand a helper in modern terms. As is in the case of every human relation, every human relationship, the command to submit is not absolute. There are limitations. So here are some examples. When the husband asks the wife to sin, she must not submit. When the husband is medically incapacitated, insane, or under the influence of mind-altering substances, the wife must not submit. When the husband is violent and physically threatening, the wife may not submit. When the husband breaks the marriage bond by adultery, the wife does not need to submit to her husband being in an adulterous relationship. So what about the husband? The scripture says he is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Now what does that mean? In simple terms, he must be willing to live and die for her. That may sound strange to some of you, but if, we, if he is to follow the example and loving his wife like Christ loved the church, it involves a type of love that puts her needs above his own. It is characterized by sacrifice, giving, and self-denial. It is generally agreed that a husband bears a larger part of the responsibility towards building a successful marriage. He should see himself as the one wanting to initiate things in such a way that would prompt his wife to voluntarily submit to his leadership. The submission really begins with him. It's funny sometimes when you hear a man complain about not knowing what he needs to do to please his wife. And when he asks her directly, her response could be something like, figure it out. <laughs> Part of our job, guys, is to figure it out. I know that sounds weird to us guys, right? Because just tell us what we want. Tell us what we want. It sounds weird, but it's true. And the place to look for that answer is in the example of Jesus Christ. And I think it would be safe to say that women wouldn't hesitate to entrust themselves entirely to their husbands if they knew that their husband loved them with such self-giving love. Paul adds a second responsibility to the husbands. Avoid the temptation to be harsh. This instruction appears to be something Paul saw as a particular 
cultural issue in Colossae. Apparently, husbands in Colossae had tendencies to be harsh, but this certainly applies to our culture today, and unfortunately, probably apply in every generation. Men can be less sensitive. They can use their stronger stature to, to be overly aggressive with their wives and their children. Remember that chart we looked at earlier, and be reminded of those sins of speech that are relationship killers. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So both parties must, must make a concerted effort to submit their will for the sake of the other. Mutual submission implies that you are part of a team that works together toward a common goal. As a couple, husband and wife, needing to look beyond themselves with a much more important mission in mind. The mission consists of reflecting God's glory in a broken world, very much needing reconciliation. And when this team works well together, it brings glory to God. Now, the important role of singles. It's important to mention that also singles play an important role in this mission. My experience as a single sometimes made me feel as that you're not fully complete yet until you're in a state of marriage. And that couldn't be further from, from the truth. Both couples and singles have advantages and disadvantages when it comes to serving God. The church needs both to function well. I remember uh, one time coming to church as a single man. I was driving in. I was so happy, you know, coming to church and looking forward to it. And then as I was driving in front of the church, I'd come across somebody and they'd stop me and say, how are you doing? I said, yeah, good. I'm looking forward to church. I'm praying for somebody to be next to you in that car. <laughs> I was happy. I was coming in. And then I just like, maybe I should go home. Just don't do that. <laughs> Children and fathers. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long, live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. <clears throat> I, tended to, sorry. <clears throat> I tended to be a willful child and many times caused my parents some grief with my behavior. Looking back, I wish I could have been a little bit more like my older sister. You know, she was so disciplined, uh, conscientious, she would always have this uh, lunch bag in the fridge with her name on it because she would use the same one week over week, even months sometimes. It really was grossing me out. <laughs> I would have a nice craft bag every day, you know, and I kind of was proud of, of having a nice fresh craft bag. But then I realized that uh, that was probably not considerate of me and certainly not environmentally friendly. In general, children are susceptible to being willful or rebellious, so parents and adults must, must hold reasonable expectations of them. 
However, children have a, a duty to obey their parents. And the word obey means to listen under. Listening to your parents pleases the Lord. It may be difficult at times because we don't always agree with our parents. We may even have a good reason to challenge their thinking. But yet, at the end of the day, it's important to submit to their authority out of respect for your parents and out of respect for God. Once again, this involves making a choice and not something that is determined by how you feel. When you run into a situation that you disagree with, you should ask yourself, what would be pleasing to the Lord? If you are guided by the word of God, there is really no leeway for disobedience outside of any form of abuse or a contradiction of the explicit commands of God. Paul also reminds us in the Ephesians text that there is it's the only command of the ten that comes with a promise of blessing. Probably God wanted to give an added incentive for kids to do the right thing. So kids, consider your obedience like money in the bank. What you give up now will be rewarded later. The command to honor your parents should even go beyond our childhood and into adulthood. It is sad to see how often elderly are neglected in our society by their own children. If you were to ask long-term care workers how often their kids visit them, you might be shocked. Uh, it's, it's been known that at least 60% get no visitors at all. 20% only get occasional visitors. And under 20% get regular visits. It's shameful. So therefore, let us be mindful of honoring our parents, both as children and as adults. This, we know, pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Ephesians, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I can recall the burden of discouragement I felt at times growing up as a child. My dad was an immigrant, a hardworking man, a wonderful provider, but that left him little energy to spend with us five kids. His few attempts at business failed, which further consumed him. We suffered a certain level of neglect that was common in those days, I suppose. And if correction was needed, it was usually very abrupt and without much conversation. <laughs> My Italian brothers understand what I'm talking about here. We suffered a certain level of neglect that was common in those days and what correction, oh, sorry, I'm repeating myself. So not having that support to draw upon left me feeling like I needed to figure things out on my own. That can bring about discouragement and a lack of confidence in oneself. I remember having a very contrasting experience with a Mr. Martino one day. I was walking home with my bicycle that had just broken down and the frame had collapsed. And as I was walking home, I was just not looking forward to what my dad was going to say that I just broke another bike. And as I was walking towards my home, I got interrupted by Mr. Martino. And he asked me, what, what's wrong? He saw my dejected look. And I said, I just broke my bike. He says, why don't you come over into the, my garage? I'll, I'll take a look at that. And, and then went on to say, man, these bikes, they're not made for guys who have a lot of strength. 
you know? He says, I think I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take, I'm going to be able to fix that for you. Why not I show you how I'm going to fix that? And he began to weld it. He had welding equipment. And he explained to me how welding works and took his time and was so patient with me and was showing me how it works. And then he fixed my bike. He restored it. And then he, he, he let me go and he says, have a great day. He says, if it breaks down, come back and see me. I'll, I'll be happy to fix it for you. My, my spirit just, just rose, you know, and, 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 and I went home feeling so happy. And then when I got home, my parents said, where were you? We were so worried about you. <laughs> it's so important to have that quality time with your parents. This neglect happens to the best of Christian homes. Billy Graham expressed regret for the amount of time he spent away from his family. I have a concern for my brothers uh, in the church that sometimes they get so busy in ministry that they may be compromising a little bit of their ministry at home. And we need to be mindful of that. Dads, think about your kids, your sons and daughters. What do you want for them? What are your hopes and desires for them? What kind of men and women do you want them to be? My guess is discouragement is not in that picture. Consider the ways that you may make your home a beautiful place of refuge and encouragement. Your arms and your words should be sources of comfort from which your children will find refreshment. Remember also that they are part of your mission for God. They are watching you as you live out your faith, how you treat your spouse, your approach to discipline, and how you deal with setbacks and suffering. You heard Rebecca say how the family she stayed with impressed her in the way they handled moments of crisis. That should remind us that faith is more often caught than it is taught. Your faith can't appear to be disingenuous either. You can't be one person on Sunday and another person from Monday to Saturday. Hypocrisy is easily detected by children and can turn them off quickly. I realize the job of parenting is a difficult one and one not to be taken lightly. My prayer is that you would have great wisdom and strength from God to create a, to create a supporting, gospel-centered home. So now we move to the last couplet involving servants and masters. I'll just read the uh, Colossians one because they are very long. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the Lord, that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. As in any other city or village in the Greco-Roman world, there would have been many slaves in Colossae, probably a reason why this section is twice as long as the other two combined. By the way, slavery in the first century of Rome is not like slavery in America. In biblical days, it was far more economic arrangement that uh, didn't connect to race or ethnicity. That was not the way it was. It was more, uh, for example, if you went into bankruptcy, you could offer yourself as a slave if you wanted to uh, pay off a debt. Um, 
And after a certain time, you were allowed, you could be free and even become a Roman citizen. In his address, Paul treats the slaves with dignity and encourages them to consider the Lord as their true master, governing their behavior accordingly. He appeals to them to be sincere and work heartily as unto the Lord and let God handle the situations that are not in their control. The issue of bond servants living in our homes is not relevant today, but there is a secondary application for us. One of the biggest factors of stress in our society is in the workplace, is the workplace. Burnout is rampant and no apparent end in sight. Much has to do with exceeding demands, lack of staff, and poor working conditions. However, a big part of the problem is called, caused by relational tension, which is in our control. Some of the advice Paul gives here can be relevant to your situation, either as an employee or as an employer. As an employee, you can be faced with demanding, a demanding or unfair supervisor. You can be treated badly or even face discrimination from others that you are working with. The world is messy right now, and so these principles are very applicable today. Consider how you might apply an attitude that sees the situation through the eyes of God. Do your work as if you were working for God himself and attempt to develop a genuine appreciation for the people you may be having difficulty with. Your attitude may win them over in more ways than one. Sometimes we can dwell on a person that we're having difficulty with and we end up demonizing them beyond what is reasonable. Think to yourself, if I wasn't in that situation or circumstance with this person, might I get along with them? Paul includes here another promise of uh, reward for those who are able to show meekness in such situations. So remember that. There's a reward that God will provide for us if we're able to have the self-control in difficult situations like that. Employers also bear a responsibility to treat their employees with dignity and not be cruel and harsh with them. They need to steward their, steward their power with great care because they also are under authority with the eyes of God watching. So as I conclude this morning, I want to propose a few points for application. Number one, check your relationship temperature. The defining mark of a healthy Christian family is the state of their relationships. Now, if Christianity, if we had uh, key performance indicators attached to our Christianity, I shared this with our Bible study, well, how your relationships are working would be one key indicator. Give yourself the student test. If a foreign student lived in your house for a year, what would your testimony look like? You can ask Rebecca to come over for six months. <laughs> Invest time in training opportunities or books that will help you perfect your relationship skills. We uh, gave a relationship course last uh, winter, and it was really appreciated, really helpful to all of us. I'm going to run that again uh, uh, in the winter. But uh, there are plenty of resources. There's up on, on the screen, there are some suggested books. I just saw this um, uh, uh, at the uh, conference. I went to a Dulos conference. It's actually available in English and, and French. 
and gospel-centered marriage and gospel-centered family. Very good books that you could use. They're not too thick, and, uh, and they're also available in French. And they have a, a, a format that you read a little bit, and there's some reflection questions, so you can do it as a Bible study, or you could do it by yourself, or just your family, whatever you choose, but they are one tool I would recommend for families. The second point is guard your mouth. Ask first, ask the Lord to help you guard your words. Pray for it. Psalm 141, uh, verse 3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watching over the door of my lips. Imagine uh, David praying for that because, you know, we're so uh, vulnerable and, and we need to ask God's help to, to watch the words that come out of their mouth because they can either be lethal or they can be comforting. Ask yourself, what is the root of your choice words? What might you be coveting in your heart that is causing you to spew these relationship killers? That's the big question. What's going on inside? What's really going down? What's going down at the root that is causing me to have to say these words? And thirdly, avoid threatening or, or harsh words. And don't let your guard down, especially with people in the house. It's easy when you're comfortable at home to let your guard down. And be, you, know, you, you may treat somebody in the church more kindly that you don't know than the people that are at home that love you and you love them. And finally, be reconciled. How can you be reconciled? Be reconciled. How can you take the first step in rebuilding a difficult relationship with your spouse, child, parent, employee, or supervisor with a heavenly perspective in mind. We can always do a reset. And, you know, preparing for this message, it got me, like, thinking about a lot of things. And God be treating my wife in a little more attentive way. And she said to me, she says, I don't know what's going on with you, but I'm liking it. So... Um, yeah, accept God's forgiveness and trust in his divine justice. If you're in a situation where the relationship is irreparable, ask him to give you the peace you need to make sense of it and carry on. He knows our frame and our weaknesses, and so for that reason alone, he's always ready to extend mercy. And for those of who have hurt you in a relationship, trust in him to adjudicate for you, because as the word said, says, there is no partiality with God, meaning he'll take care of it if there's something, if somebody has caused something that has caused you harm. And finally, be reconciled with God himself. God wants, wants to make your house a beautiful place, and he wants to offer you the rewards that come with it. But it starts with you coming to him with a humble heart and seeking his forgiveness and ask him to be the Lord of your life. He will provide you the, the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit to meditate for you in your to mediate for you in your household and in your workplace and everywhere else. He will take you on a process that will refine you and bless you to the extent you desire. Sky is the limit. So, brothers and sisters, may your life and my life produce every kind of good fruit as we come to know him better and better. Let's pray.
Father, we are so grateful for your word that cleanses us. Father, we are, there's no other place to go but to see the example of your son Jesus in our lives. So, Father, help us all to think about the things of heaven, that we would, we would be in our thinking uh, looking at things above, looking at things from your perspective, and really learning to submit to one another, meaning to love one another, and consider others better than ourselves. And it's not an easy task when you consider everything that is competing for our attention. So Father, allow us to uh, think less of those things and more of the people that we love. And for those who have not yet uh, made a decision uh, to invite you into their hearts, I just want to pray for them now, Lord. Maybe they've been coming, listening to these message, messages uh, for weeks, months, even years. And we know that um, unless you rule the heart, then there's nothing we can do to, to, to make that happen on our own. So I just want to pray for whoever uh, is ready to do that, to make that commitment, to allow God to rule in your heart, um, to do it now. Just ask Jesus, invite him into your heart. Be reconciled to Jesus and say to him, I'm sorry for everything that I've done, but I invite you into, into my heart to have you uh, as my Lord and Savior and to, to reconcile me and to turn my life around and to live for you and, and to live for you in such a way that I can bring glory to your name. Father, I pray for anyone who might think that they want to make that decision that, Lord, uh, that you would reveal that and that you would make it clear to them. And, Lord, we would rejoice in, in, in such a confession. Once again, I want to thank you for the word and the message and the, and, and, and the thoughts that have come to our mind today. And uh, we just pray as we go on from here this morning that we would shine a light to, uh, to those in our, in our uh, family and in our communities uh, about who you are and, and what you have done for us.